Robert Allen Darrow, my father. This is a picture of my grandfather, Edward Dudley Darrow. He's a little boy here. He was born in 1905. And this is a picture of my grandmother, Irene Hart Allen, when she was a little girl. She was born in 1899. My grandparents got married when my grandfather was 18 and a half and my grandmother was 24 and a half. Even at that young age, she had already outlived one husband. Three years after their marriage, on April 12, 1928, they had a little boy. This was to be their only child, my father, Robert Allen Darrow. This is a letter that my great-grandmother saved. It was written by her son, Ed, 23 years old. He was writing to tell her about his new son. The letter is postmarked just four days after my father was born. The postmark reads, April 16, 1928. That was back when two cents would buy your letter a ride all the way across the United States, if necessary. Edward Darrow, a proud new father, wrote from his home in Denver, Colorado to his mother in Hollywood, California. The letter began, Dear Mother. Well, Mother, I'm Papa now. Sure is great. We've this sweetest little boy you ever did see. He weighed six pounds and two and three quarters ounces when he was born, and five pounds the next day. He has dark blue eyes and fairly dark hair, feet and hands like his paw, a mouth like yours, and the rest is like Irene, except he's a boy. He sure doesn't look like he's three days old, more like thirty. The doctor says he's a perfect baby, which makes us both very glad. I guess everybody worries about that before a baby's born. I really don't know much about my father's childhood other than from the pictures we have, but from the looks of it, it appears he had the same kind of childhood anyone else does when their parents love them.
My dad was pretty active in school when he was a boy. By the time he was in high school, in eighth grade, he joined the band, playing clarinet. Believe it or not, my parents met between 1941 and 1942, when they had both just entered the eighth grade. In fact, it was the first day of school at what was a brand new school for him, Venice High School in Los Angeles, California. My mother and father both recalled the day. They were in an English class together, and the teacher decided to throw a spelling bee just to get the kids warmed up for the new school year. By the end of that spelling bee, there were only two kids left standing. Facing each other from across the room, my mother, Doris Oden, on one side, and my father, Bob Darrow, on the other. The final challenge word was immediately. My mom had to go first. She spelled it incorrectly, forgetting the E, and had to drop out. And then it was up to my father, who spelled it correctly, winning the spelling bee. Though in my opinion, my father was not at the peak of his soon-to-be boyish good looks at age 13, something about him and that spelling bee impacted my mother greatly. She tells us she went home and wrote in her diary before bed that night, Someday, I'm going to marry Bob Darrow. She was 12 years old. But she was going to have to wait. The way my mom tells it, there were all kinds of girls hanging around Bob Darrow as he got better looking, grew taller, and filled out with muscle over the years, achieving great honors in high school. She didn't have her chance at him until senior sweater day at Venice High School. She cut a path through all the other girls and was now officially the girlfriend of student body president Bob Darrow. In the nearly six decades they have been married, she has reminded him often of her triumph. She'll roll over in bed just as he's about to go to sleep, kiss him on the cheek, and whisper in his ear, I won. He just smiles with his eyes closed and drifts off to sleep. Now, I've always enjoyed my father's sense of humor, which he apparently got from his own father. My dad is always delightfully silly with children and exhibits a dry wit with adults, like his father, something my mother had to get used to when she met his family. But even with his trademark sense of humor, throughout my childhood and adult life, I've known my father largely as a fairly unassuming, humble man, never flashy or showy, quiet, choosing his words carefully, thoughtful, caring, gracious. But what I never knew about him until I saw pictures of him in my parents' old photo albums that they had stored in their bedroom closet was that in his younger years, before he was married, he was a bit of a show-off. I mean, look at this guy. I never really knew my dad this way. By the time he was an adult and had me, its third child of four, all that had gone away.
After high school, he was off to California Institute of Technology, or Caltech. He started out as a chemical engineering student, then following the advice of one of his professors, the world-renowned Dr. Linus Pauling, he changed his major to mechanical engineering. My parents were married March 19, 1949, and honeymooned in Carmel, California. All this during my father's senior year in college. Mom had worked at Sears and Roebuck department store in downtown Los Angeles, and they managed to live off of her savings and his from several jobs he'd had, plus a monthly cash gift from his parents, until he graduated later that year. After graduation, my father was hired by General Electric, and they moved across the country to Pennsylvania. There in the town of Sharon Hill in 1952, when he was 23 and a half, just like his father, his first child was born, my oldest sister, Janice Irene Darrow. My father excelled at work. He always wanted to do a good job at whatever he did. At age 15, he had become a Christian through the influence of Howard and Charlotte Fox. His faith and his understanding of biblical service forged a work ethic largely centered around what would become his favorite verse. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart as work for the Lord and not for men. In 1953, when my father was 25 and a half, my parents had their second child. Joanne Elizabeth Darrow. She was born five and a half weeks premature and had to spend the first five weeks of her life in an incubator away from her new parents. In 1957, on Father's Day, when my dad was 29, I was born, and I was given the name David Robert Darrow. In 1961, when my dad was 33, their fourth child, John Edward Darrow, was born.
At various times in my childhood I would receive news that I couldn't fully comprehend, even in my teens. Bad news, by anyone's measure, like that of my father's loss of employment through a company layoff, or worse. But I never saw anything in him that even resembled stress. He always handled it as a man of faith. And I was, I was liberated by that. Hmm. That I could be me, and what I was was okay, and it wasn't about what I wasn't, it was what mm -hmm. I, what I was. Hmm. And do that the best I can. <laughs> be yourself. And then I coupled that with, you know, what I got out of Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it heartily. And and I feel like that got me through my working career. Mm -hmm. um, and I, my working career, I felt like um, in terms of what at least my employers wanted or were expecting of me, that I wasn't really good at it. But I did it heartily. My, there weren't very many days when I went to work discouraged. There were many, you know, there were a bunch of times, but but those came in little clusters, usually associated with before or after getting fired. Which yeah, <laughs> those always screw up my day too. <laughs> Those make me. Those kind of days make me want to go home early. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fire me! I will pack my bags and be out of here that quick. <laughs> well, I'm going to leave work early. You'll hear from me tomorrow when I come back. While doing everything heartily as unto God has been a recurring theme throughout my father's life, I believe he downplays excessively his ability to please his employers. From the time he began learning clarinet to play in the junior high band, through becoming an Eagle Scout in the Boy Scouts of America, even top scout of Southern California in 1945, on through his entire life, his every waking moment has been about excellence. He has done everything heartily.
But of all the awards he has been given in his lifetime, and there have been many, and of all the documents he has saved, there is only one that is precious to him. And it's what it stands for that means so much. And really, it represents why he worked so hard building a life and a household for his family. You only need to flip the paper over to see why it's so dear to his heart. I've no need to be reminded Of all my failures and my sins For I can write my own indictment Of who I am and who I've been The churches that my parents have enjoyed for long periods, even decades, including those I attended as a child, increasingly centered around themes of family, serving each other, and grace. And I have watched my parents change over my lifetime, becoming more gracious with the years. There's a lesson I believe that I have learned. There's a It might easily be argued that my parents were at times opinionated and had the correct answer in any situation. One such subject was the issue of divorce and remarriage. I'm the only one in my immediate family to have gone through the breakup of a marriage which was difficult for both of my parents. But in the end, when I remarried in 2003, Grace won out, and they welcomed my new wife, Teresa, with open arms. And they have loved her like a daughter. Forgiveness comes in just a moment. To their credit, they have regularly kept in touch with my children, two of them adults now, and their mother. They have always remained good friends. My father loves technology, beauty, precision, good art, fine machinery, a good almond croissant, and black coffee. But more than all that, the meanings and root meanings of words. He loves precision in meaning. Recently he gave me his favorite old Webster's Dictionary the one that was honestly his favorite bathroom reading material. He highlighted words of which he had come to a new understanding. As he handed me this ancient and worn volume, he asked if I would photograph the description of the word understanding. He paused and told me that with all that he had come to know about words and their meanings, he still didn't know whether it was more important to understand or to be understood. Shines a distant light. It seems to point at me. It burns away the night. Familiar figure on horizon. Moving closer now, I see his heart is shining like the sun. He is reaching out for me. With a hand of kindness, he's holding me, holding me. There's a hand of 
At the very end of March 2005, in fact it was Good Friday, I received a cell phone call from my brother John telling me that Dad was in serious condition and that they were taking him to the hospital. Later that evening, just as my wife, my daughter, and I were about to enter our church for the Good Friday service, I received a phone call from my father telling me that he was okay but that he was going to stay in the hospital over the weekend, that his kidneys were not working correctly so he was going to have a medical procedure to, as he indicated, prolong his life a little bit longer. I didn't know exactly what that meant, so I began making plans to get up to my parents' house as soon as I could. My siblings all received the same grim news, and so made similar plans, and we all arrived at different times that next week. I arrived on a Wednesday and spent precious time with both of my parents. The next day, my sister Jan flew in alone from Portland, Oregon. Then the following day, my nephew Nate and his wife Tina flew in from Arkansas, followed by my niece, Nate's sister, Stephanie, from Bossier City, Louisiana, and their mother, my sister Joanne, from Colorado Springs. The following Sunday, my own children arrived with their mother, and things worked out for them to spend the entire day with their grandpa and grandma alone. A few days later, in the cool of the evening, to my parents' great surprise and delight, Dan, Jan's husband, and their three kids, Aaron, Annalisa, and AJ, showed up unexpectedly, having started out at 3 o'clock in the morning in Portland, Oregon, driving all night and day to Sunnyvale, California, to spend the weekend with us. My father rallied some strength, rising from his chair to greet them all and hear about their drive down. Wonderful. <laughs> All of our lives, our home has been filled with lots of music, 
and lots of laughter. You can count on it. It's going to happen. You just don't know when. One of my father's requests for his upcoming birthday, which would occur after most of the family had left to go back home, was that this night we all gather together and sing hymns. John playfully made it difficult for Aaron to tune up his guitar. My father found a comfortable spot on the floor on which to lie, and for the next hour and a half, with my brother John gracing the ivories and Aaron on guitar, we sang every hymn we could remember from our years in church. Even my father sang from the floor.
All four of my father's children, and now all of his grandkids, remember a routine he used to do with an empty paper lunch bag and an invisible little something named Billy Bagwhacker. The grandkids asked him to perform it again. Are you saying it wasn't true? No, it was true. I just forget it. I'm a guy, I don't remember what happened in the first seven grades of my schooling. Well, we can't remember how to do it. But somehow, I had this story. Oh, Billy's got the text. And it was usually a garbage bag, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's a small one, I think. You were really tiny then, so they look bigger. <laughs> and, and Seriously, I thought it was very little. Billy Bagwalker would seem like he would jump around the room. Wasn't he an acrobat? Yeah. Right. And I could, I knew something and catch him. Uh-huh. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and uh, some little dumb routine, which... His eyes were so flitting around the room like he was watching. And he'd, he'd try and catch him. Yeah. <laughs> this is, when he caught him, he'd go... <laughs> something in the back. This is on yeah. tape to show the grandkids, you know, uh, that, that believe in it, so... Yeah, I like to realize they make it real convincing. Now, <laughs> well, Billy Bagwanker got old, and he didn't fly around as well. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the short version of a long life well lived a good and faithful servant if there ever was one I mean how do you tell a story about a guy like my dad when you talk about my dad, you have to talk about courage, strength, caring, love, and grace. And you've got to talk about the love of his life, Doris Darrow. And with all you know about my father, if you have any complaints, you're going to have to come to me. Because you see, for the last 48 years, I've been saying that someday I want to grow up to be just like him. You know, most people can only dream about having a few moments of the kind of love my parents have shared for the last six decades. I've gotten to watch it. Oh.